Thank you for waiting. We're now boarding all passengers on No Blackout Dates Airlines. All aboard No Blackout Dates to... Wait. Where the hell are we going? No Blackout Dates. We are Blackout Dates. Good to see you. Good to see you. How you doing? Not for nothing really and truly all day long like 7-Eleven. What if I don't drink at all Monday through Friday, and then I go out Saturday and I have nine drinks? Is that acceptable? What I'm going to stop doing now is I'm going to stop carrying around those two 40-pound dumbbells. I wanted to be a tiger trainer. I didn't end up being that, but I could always change careers. Welcome, welcome to another episode of No Blackout Dates. My name is Tim. And I'm Evan. we got a great one for you today with our new friend, Julana a former cheerleader with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a model, travel host, travel blogger, and general all-around badass. We are really excited to talk to her. She's got a ton of great insight about not only traveling in general, but kind of traveling from a different light and through multiple different prisms, uh, 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 both in professional sports as a model and as somebody who travels on her own. So we're going to get into that with her in just a moment. But as we've done for the last Three or four weeks now, we're going to get into our favorite section, hot takes, before we get into today's meat and potatoes. So, Evan, I'm going to start you off real, real hard today with a question. This one, I spent a lot of time figuring out how I was going to word it because I didn't want to hurt your feelings or anything, <laughs> but this is how it's going to be. That's always a good precursor to a question. Okay, let's, let's hear it. Let's go. If you were going to be a model, what would it be that you would model? Okay, how would that hurt my feelings, Tim? Well, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I don't know how you how what you view as your your strong points versus your points that aren't as attractive you know okay uh i would be a food model a food model i'd be like the guy in the commercials that that they show eating at a restaurant and just really really enjoying it in like a super exaggerated way that normal people don't actually uh emote when they enjoy their food okay so you wouldn't be like a sock model or something like that no, I don't know. I don't think I have like a, like a, I don't know. I don't have like an accessory that I wear. I'd be on the cover of Pizza Weekly, just sitting there like eating a slice. And that's, that's what I was born to do. I think there's got to be somebody out there that has just mastered that face of utter satisfaction that comes when you take a bite of something that's really delicious. And that person has figured out how to monetize that look and is now like a model in exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, you know how when you, see those food shows on tv and the guy takes one bite and he just like his eyes roll in the back of his head and he's like oh my god like that is just oh so delicious does anybody react that way when they eat anything but with enough years of practice and enough dedication and willpower which i which i do have because i'm really passionate about this subject and it's something that i think could really change a lot of people's lives for the best yeah yeah i could do it i think i can handle it what about you what would you model hats Burton hats. I would probably mo- model Burton hats. Yeah. For listeners who can't see, Tim has worn the same, I don't know about the same, but the same looking Burton hat to every single podcast recording. So I think he might be trying to get official sponsorship and maybe forgetting that this isn't a visual medium. Well, the thing is, it's like I'm I'm getting old enough now and, and have accepted that, that I no longer like buy one hat. When I find a hat that I like, I order multiple of them. Okay, my next question is, it's similar in the way that it's related to clothing, but it has nothing to do with being a model. When it's a season change, and this could be between winter and spring or summer and fall, are you one of the people that eagerly switches to the clothing of the coming season? Or do you hold on to the clothes that you've already been wearing for the last three months until you absolutely have to change? 
I, I cling to summer as hard as I, ca- I possibly can. I like fall. Fall is arguably my favorite season, but clothing-wise, I like to still rock the shorts uh, as, and, the, and the short sleeves as long as I possibly can. Because then the second, it's like it's like waving the white flag. The second you wake up and you're like, you know what? It's pants season. Yeah, that's it. You're in. You're down the rabbit hole of sweatpants and and long sleeve shirts for the next six months. So I try to cling as long as I can. I feel like I'm kind of the same way, especially with spring. And and but the thing is, is I'm not disciplined enough to stick to it. Like I switched to shorts a week ago, and now today I'm wearing jeans. I'm looking out my window at snow right now. So yeah, it, it is one of those things in Colorado you know, and other places with a similar climate where yes, spring is the ultimate tease. You know, you'll have some 70 degree days and then all of a sudden it's snowing and freezing again. Um, and then, but in fall, you can, you can rock shorts easily into mid October, if not later in Colorado, usually. Yeah. Cause all these weirdos are out in December in their shorts just to prove how tough they are against the cold weather. It's like, all right, just, we get it. We get it. You're from Colorado. You're, you're into the outdoors you can brave the elements. Just put some pants on. You know, it's 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 December. It's Christmas time. Just, just put some pants on. All right. Well, that's what I've got. All right. And on my end, Tim, are escape rooms bullshit? I've never made it out of one. I'm 0 for 2 in my escape room. <laughs> He's actually still in there. He's still in one right now as we speak. I'm stuck. I got stuck. He went on. He did one like last week. Never got out. They wouldn't let him leave. He's podcasting from his escape room. So you've never, you've never successfully. You're saying you've never successfully solved one. Is that what you said? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm o for two. Two. Okay. And the the thing about escape rooms is like I feel like there are some people that are super into it. And like if you are with a crew of people that loves escape rooms and loves like the mystery and like the solving of the problem and all of that, then ah, uh, it's probably a great night out. To me, like I'm one of those people that's like. I guess I'll go to the escape room if that's what everybody else wants to do. Like, I don't really care. And if we end up getting there and it's closed, ah, that's fine. I'll go to the brewery instead. Like, I don't, I, I'm not that into it. Like, I, it, it can be fun, but I'm not like, I have never, when, when it's never been for me when we go there, it's always for like somebody else's birthday or something. Okay. I like this take. I didn't expect this out of you. I thought you were going to be a big escape room guy. I myself have only been one time escaped no big deal batting a thousand on escape rooms but i mean my take on escape rooms is basically that they're a genius idea they're fun they're interactive good group bonding experience i get it but you've got a whole business built around the concept of trapping four people in a room for an hour while those people just tear the room apart trying to escape and it makes no difference whether they actually do or not if they succeed it's not like the escape room people have to give them anything as a reward. There's literally zero stakes. Done one one time, like I said, had a good time. It was fun. But afterwards, I was kind of left thinking, did I just pay $40 for these people to lock me in a room, take away my phone, and give me some puzzles to solve? And when I got out, there was no fanfare, no prize, no nothing. Just hope you guys come back soon and let us lock you in another room. The whole thing is just very strange to me. You know, it's kind of like I always used to tell my dad when I was a kid that I thought it would be really fun to design a golf course. It's probably the same way with an escape room. It's probably pretty fun to design an escape room. All right. Next question. Do you lie to your doctor ever when he asks you about your alcohol consumption? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, who honestly goes in there and is like... Yeah, last Saturday I had like 11 drinks and I was hammered. Like nobody says that, you know. 
that's my take too. I was I had this argument with my roommates a few years ago who, I mean, consume in excess of at least like 40 drinks a week. And I said, I was like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't ever tell my doctor the truth about like how much I drink. Like it's not that, it's not a dangerous amount, but it's more than the re- the doctor recommended amount. And, and they looked at me and they're like, dude, why would you lie to your doctor? Like the doctor like is just there. He's not judging you. He's just there to help you. And I was like, you know what? You're right. But they are judging you. That's the thing. They're definitely judging you. And they're going to be like, oh, you shouldn't drink that much. You know, <laughs> I don't want my doctor to give me a lecture. Like it's like when they ask you, I mean, maybe it's slightly different, but it's like when they ask you if you're sexually active and you feel like they might be judging you for some reason based on whatever you answer. Like in high school, if they ask you that question, you're thinking, oh, shit, if I say yes, they're going to reprimand me about safety like they're my mom. And if you're in your 20s and you say you're not sexually active, you're going to be irrationally worried that the doctor is somehow judging you like, oh, not sexually active, huh? What a loser. Like they, they don't care. They literally couldn't care less. Alcohol is a bit different because the official rec for alcohol, like the official recommendation is probably like three drinks a week or something like that. I've heard that it's safe for men to drink two drinks a day. So 14 a week and for women to drink uh, either 10 or 11, which is pretty reasonable. And I'm probably about in that ballpark these days because it's not like I'm going out anymore. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, it's like one a day. But what if you don't drink at all during the week, but then you have all of those recommended drinks on Saturday night? Like, how, how does that work? This is a funny thing because so when I was a kid... And I felt bad, like I felt sick and I wanted to go to the doctor. My mom would take me to the doctor like straight away. And she would tell me every time to lie about how long I've been having these symptoms, you know, because the doctor doesn't want to give you medicine until you've been sick for like, you know, how X amount of days, you know, then you get the prescription. So my mom would be like, (laughs) make sure you tell him that you've been sick for a week (laughs) and then you can get the prescription. And I'd be like, okay. So then I'd go in there and I would just lie about how long I've been sick, even though it was like one day. It's so weird because these are people you're supposed to like, they're not your friends. They're not people you're trying to impress. They're not part of your social circle. They're just people who are literally (laughs) their job is to like accurately assess you as best they can and then help you. And so lying, it's like lying to your therapist. (laughs) It's like, because you don't want them to judge your life decisions. Like, why would you go to a therapist if you don't want, if you don't want to know what's like going on in your life? Doctors are probably kind of like cops because cops, you know, obviously are trained to tell if you're lying to them. And doctors probably have that same sense of like, no way, this guy is completely full of shit about everything he's saying. Yeah. I'd love to poll a doctor on how many of their patients actually admit to being like, yeah, like, so how many drinks do you have a week? Oh, like easily 25 plus, easily 25 plus. I can't even remember last weekend. It's like um, getting a box of frozen mozzarella sticks that says a serving size is two. Right. Like, okay, two boxes of mozzarella sticks is a serving maybe. So being in excess of the doctor, doctor recommended alcohol intake isn't necessarily harmful because that number is so low but it will get you a stern talking to about your drinking habits. I, I mean, I, I view the rec, I think that your view of the rec is wrong, though. I think the rec is actually closer to two drinks a day. That's reasonable. I still raises the question, though, what if I don't drink at all Monday through Friday, and then I go out Saturday and I have nine drinks? Is that acceptable? Yes. You just have to spread those nine drinks out across the course of the day and the night. There we go. That's official advice from uh, Dr. Tim Winger. He's a certified pathologist and pulmonary expert. Yep. Now that we've cleared our medical questions out of the way, let's get right to the interview with Juliana. All right. We'll see you on the other side. 
Okay. Well, we're here with Yolana. How are you? Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. I was, uh, I've been a fan of your podcast. Cool. Well, it's always good to get somebody to reach out. I think you might be the first person we've had on that reached out to us uh, about the show directly. So that's pretty cool. That's an exciting milestone for us. Wow, that is an exciting milestone. I'm, I'm honored to be that first person. <laughs> so I'm curious that you have quite a lot going on that I can judge from from your site and from your social media channels. You're in LA right now. You have a travel blog. You've been a professional cheerleader for the NFL. What is it that you would say if somebody asked you what you do? What is your response to that? Um, yeah, I've I've kind of had a, a life where I've just have done a little bit of everything in the past, um, mostly all entertainment based things. But right now, if somebody were to ask me, I would say that I am a um, model, a TV host and actress. OK, let's let's talk travel blogging and, and traveling in general. What got you started with putting stuff up on the Internet and and what is kind of your angle that you feel that you're presenting that other people are not? Um, well, I got started because I was doing a lot of traveling for modeling. I've been modeling for 10 years and I just like naturally started booking jobs that were like in other countries or like, or I would go to another country to model for a few months. Um, so I, and I've always loved to travel. So that kind of was like a bonus for me. And then I just was always taking pictures and when it wasn't for modeling, I would go on like trips with my best friends. Like we would just pick a country and we would all kind of like meet up there and then, you know, spend a week or two, have a vacation. So I've just had this backlog of photos and videos and like really cool stuff. Cause we try to do like adventure stuff when we go. So we'll be like, you know, doing zip lining or rock climbing or skydiving. So I like had this really cool content on like hard drives, you know, sitting in my house and I had been thinking about starting a blog for a long time. I was like, we already have a lot of materials, but, but it takes so much time to start it. So I really got it up and running last year um, during quarantine. And I just love to write. For, for me, I really like to come from the angle of like outdoors and like being with nature and appreciating nature and animals. I love animals. So a lot of the content that I do is very outdoor focused and what like my real passion is, is to educate and kind of like showcase animals. Tim hates animals. You hate animals? As, no, as, I, as I'm looking at my chickens in the yard out the window right now. Yeah, he gives his chickens a good kick every time he goes to work every day. <laughs> what, 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 is, uh, what is the animal that did it for you? Like what got you hooked? Um, I think it was tigers when I was growing up. That was always my favorite animal. And I wanted to be a tiger trainer. I thought you were just going to say tiger, period. Like I wanted to be a tiger when I grew up, period. That's it. A tiger? No. I was like, that's, I, I, you got to respect the aspiration there. I mean. <laughs> no, but I'm just. Tiger trainer. Like, okay. Yeah. Tiger trainer. And um, I didn't end up being that. I'm sure my mom is very happy, but. <laughs> I did it. it's, it's not too late. I know. Right. Yeah. I could always change careers. Yeah. We're all about helping people make late, late life career pivots. Like Tim is uh, trying to make a bid for a major league baseball career. So we're trying to help him with that. So your next, our next project could be getting you as a, a tiger trainer. That'd be cool. Maybe we could do like a, a TV show like made, but for new careers. Yes. Yeah. Or we'll just start a GoFundMe, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was always my dream. And, um, 
I actually went to school. At, I studied biology and zoology, so I totally like went to school for that. Got into a career. I was doing that for like two years, not with tigers, but I was like working for a company. We trained like a lot of other animals, like farm animals, um, small like exotic animals, a lot of birds, cats, dogs. The only thing about it was like it kind of sucked because I was making minimum wage, and I was like what the hell? Like I just went to college for four years. I got this hard degree. Like I had to take four chemistry classes and I'm making like $10 an hour. (laughs) So I randomly got into modeling part-time and then. Did you find that you were unique among the other models that you would travel with in your interest in kind of more rugged outdoor adventure activities? Because I think the the stereotype, at least for models, is that they're more high maintenance and not not zip lining in their spare time. Yeah, it's definitely. I will say, like my friends that I do uh, adventure outdoors things with are not my model friends usually, but I do actually have two of my best friends. They are models, and they're the ones that I go on vacations with. So it it kind of depends. I think it depends a lot on like what type of models they are too, because like I do a lot of more like commercial lifestyle fitness modeling you know versus like high fashion um kind of stuff yeah i was like is this such a stereotype or are all models out there in their spare time just like beating back tigers with chairs and stuff and <laughs> what's your favorite country to to work as a model in uh so right before i moved to la i spent three months in cape town south africa and that was such an incredible experience like imagine being in california but everything is like way cheaper. I think when I was there, our dollar was like one to 17 of their currency. And the accents are way cooler. Yeah, and everyone there is like international. So everybody has a cool accent. Everything is really cheap. It's gorgeous. And it's just like super chill. That's, uh, I, I'm curious as, as, as a model and as a blogger, I suppose, do you feel that you have to play into the influencer game at all? Or is that something you try to stay away from? Because I'm it's it's always kind of a thing with social media, like you have a bunch of followers, you're trying to do your thing. And then you have to deal with this stigma of like, oh, am I an influencer? Or do I actually have like a job that I'm doing? I do use social media, mostly Instagram. Now I did go through a phase where I was like, really kind of fighting it. Like I didn't want to have to be about that. But it it kind of sucks in a way that it is something in our industry that people look at. Like um, you can get a modeling agency off of Instagram. You can get, you know, casting directors look at your Instagram. Not so much like sometimes to see the number, I think depending like if more of, if you're an actor, I think it definitely helps if they're going to cast you for a show and you have like 500,000 followers plus the talent to go with it, obviously. But it is something that like they take into account. And sometimes it's even like, they'll look at your Instagram to see, is this a cool person? Like, is this, does this seem like a girl that I want to spend all day on set with, you know, to kind of like gauge your personality? Doesn't that kind of suck to a degree? Cause it's, it used to be all about like, just your uh, your talent in the field and your ability to do whatever it is they were, they wanted you to do. And now it's like you have to create this whole uh, brand around yourself and this whole persona and curate it all so that they can like look and be like, well, not only is she talented, but is she someone I would want to like that's that's cool enough for me to spend time with or for the production to spend time with. Does she have a platform that we can leverage to get exposure? It's like there's all these other things beyond talent now, which is good because it gives you more exposure than you 
and it helps you get noticed by people that you otherwise wouldn't have pre-social media. But it's it seems like it would be kind of a a downer in some some industries at least. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it goes both ways. I mean, I definitely I was modeling before Instagram was really a factor, and I will say like it was a lot less stressful. Like you would just get booked on a job. You could just go to work. You could make friends with the people that were there and you just judged everything off. Do I like this person? Do I generally like this person? You know, not based on any, like the other things that you just mentioned, but now it is good and it's bad because like you said, there's a ton more opportunities that come from that. Like way more people can see you. You can have more opportunities to like monetize your platform if that's what you want to do. But it's also like a lot more work because then you're constantly thinking about upkeeping it or, you know, if I'm on set, like, should I take behind the scenes photos? Should I do all this extra stuff so that I have extra content to put out later? And it just gets to be a lot sometimes. So have you ever referred to yourself as an influencer? Um, a few times, but not so much because we had we had another girl on a while ago who's an influencer and she said she prefers content creator and hates the term influencer so I, I, it's interesting to me how people like to kind of self-identify yeah i think in the beginning the word influencer kind of got sort of like this stigma of just being like pretty girls that weren't doing didn't have to work for anything and they would just hold a product and take a picture and make money that's kind of why people don't like to use that word. But like, there are so many people on social media and a lot of people that have big accounts, like they're working really hard. They're not just taking a picture of like a water bottle and being like, oh my God, this water bottle is so good. You know, like they're putting hours and days, they're planning shoots, they're producing like really high quality content or blogs or whatever. And so I think that's why they, people like that prefer the term content creator because it's more it's more related to like a production side of things. Yeah, I th I think the the in depth conversation we had on influencing I think uh, swayed Tim's opinion on influencers a little bit, and now he wants to become one. He's trying to become a, a hat influencer. Oh yeah, he's rocking it right now. Right, yeah, for for Burton. But I mean, the thing is, is you see, you know, you hear these stories of like, oh, the the quote unquote travel influencer that just rolls up to a sandwich shop in LA and asks for a free sandwich and says they're going to post it on their Instagram. But like, like ha that's not really providing much value. But as somebody who's creating content or producing videos or, or even running a blog like that is, you're actually adding value to the world by doing so. Right. They just want to do like, that's so funny because when I first moved here, I heard stories of people doing that, like just being like, well, can I have this for free because I have 50,000 followers? And I was like shocked. I was like, do people actually do that? Because that's more of like you feel like you're entitled and you don't have to work for it. Imagine doing that, just like walking into like a, a like an in and out and just being like cash your car and you're just like, no, 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 no. I don't think you heard me. 50,000 followers. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, not 15, 50. Okay. Did you hear me clearly? Five zero. All right. So... I, I want to switch it up a little bit here and talk about dating and travel, which is a consistent theme on this show. Have I, you, you said you're engaged now. Your fiance is an actor. From what we've gathered, that has kind of relocated and moved you guys around quite a bit. What have been some of the the, uh, the triumphs and tragedies of, of dating as two people who are very career involved and that move around a lot? Um, well, we've been pretty lucky as far as we haven't really had to spend a lot of time apart. 
Um, and for me, for my modeling jobs, it's usually just like a couple days or at the most, like maybe a week if it's like something really far away and cool. So yeah, we don't really have to deal with a lot of like long distance stuff. You know, if you're only in a place for a week or less shooting, it's kind of tough to, to create a foundation with people in terms of friendships or relationships. And we, we talk about that a lot on the show is that how difficult it is and how fleeting friendships and relationships can be when you're traveling all the time. Did you find that to be the case or were you more kind of just single-mindedly career focused here for the job, not, not trying to look for anything else? Um, I actually thought it was fun meeting people while traveling because part of the aspect of being there is you know that you're only going to be there together for a certain amount of days. So you kind of like right off the bat, you have to be like, Hey, I like you. Like, let's be friends. We have four days to be, you know, be doing this shoot. And then I think it's cool. It's kind of like a sense of adventure. If you know, you know, like for example, the people I met in Cape town, like we got really, really close. Cause we spent like three months together and they live all over. They live in Spain. They live in London. They live in Brazil and all these different places. And even though that's been years now, like five years since I met them, like I feel comfortable that if I was ever in London, I could hit up the girl that I hung out with all the time and we would hang out and it would be like, you know, we had never been part. I think it is hard to form friendships like in entertainment because you're not always seeing the same people unless you work like you guys do like in a production crew where you have the same people. But for modeling, it's like I might work a job with one girl and then never see her again. It's it's interesting because when you're when you are in a place with somebody or a group of people for a short period of time and you know that there's an end date approaching, all of your interactions and like hangouts kind of develop this uh, kind of nostalgic quality to them even before they're over because you know that the end is near. And so you kind of like value it more. And then when you look back on those those times after it's gone, it has like this epic feeling of like, man, that was like that those were the days that was awesome and like every time you think of that person or that place you're gonna have that sweet epic memory of that and that's i don't know it's that's one of the things about the the quote-unquote fleeting relationships that there is the upside of that like yeah you might not ever see that person again but you will always remember that specific feeling that you had when you were that person were with that person even if you don't really think about the person him or herself that much that feeling will never die. It, it's kind of like funny how you always pretend as though you're going to stay in touch with these people for a really long time. And that like, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter if you live in California and I live in Massachusetts. Like, yeah, we'll see each other all the time. Like, it'll be great. Well, it's crazy, too, because, you know, with social media, it kind of keeps you in touch with these people. So like very loosely, like even if you don't talk about them, you see what they're doing. And no generation before this has ever dealt with that, where they remain in touch or at least aware of all of these people they've known throughout different phases of their life without having to put any effort into it. You know, like the, you know, our parents' generation or whatever. Yeah, you, you went to college with somebody, then you go and you, you move on with your life. You may very well never hear from that person again. And that is not the case anymore. It's kind of crazy to think like, I can go find you know, this guy I went to middle school with, I could look him up on Facebook and know where he works and then go to his work. You know, like that's insane. Yeah. If you want to be a stalker, you could do that for sure. I'm just saying you can do that though. Like that, that is something that no other, no generation has had to deal with that. Before. Oh, it's totally unrelated topic. Tim, what'd you do this weekend? <laughs> I didn't stalk anybody. I promise. I was going through my list of high school friends and showing up at their work. Why? What are you doing? 
Anyway, you do a lot of fitness. You're obviously very into fitness. You model fitness. What are some of your your ways that you maintain this fitness when you're busy and on the road a lot? Because, you know, unless I'm on a specific trip, like I do a lot of snowboard travel, it's kind of a no-brainer on trips like that. But if I'm just going somewhere or like traveling to a city, I have a much harder time being active and maintaining a routine, you know, when you're eating all your meals in restaurants and running around trying to work or interview people or do whatever on the road. So how do you handle that? If I'm going somewhere that's like a longer trip, like maybe like three plus days, I'll bring some resistance bands with me because it's really easy to like Google resistant band workouts on YouTube or even Instagram and just kind of do, even if it's like a 15 minute or something workout in your hotel room in the morning or like whenever you have a break during the day. Are you the person who will get up at 6 a.m. when you're traveling to go for runs before like all your other friends are awake? No, I'm not that person. <laughs> okay, that's good. Evan wants to be that person, but he's not. I will never, ever, ever be that person. I do like to wake up early, but I like to wake up early so that I can have like slow mornings where I don't have to just like wake up and run out the door. Um, but if I am in a new place, I'll like to get up by, I like to get up and out the door by like eight o'clock. And sometimes if it's like a cute area, I might do like a little morning light, really like light jog just to like see the area. A light jog. A light jog. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I went on a, uh, I did one trip to Israel and this kid I was with was big into CrossFit and we had the longest day I think of my life. Like we woke up at 4am to hike up to like Masada, which is like this little plateau in the desert. And then we did, we were just kind of like a tour. So we had like a million activities that day. Didn't get back to the hotel until like 1130. And then this kid's like, he's my roommate. He's like, you guys, you want to do a uh, CrossFit workout with me? And I'm like, no, like, no, I absolutely don't. But our other, other friend was like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. So they go outside onto the grass and they're doing like, he's like coaching him through this, this CrossFit workout at 11.30 at night after like the longest day of our lives. <laughs> and this kid is just being such a hardo, busting out like hundreds of push-ups, a real intense ab routine. And he's just like, don't let me lap you, dude. Don't let me lap you. Don't let me lap you. And my other friend's just wishing he had just stayed in the room and watched Harry Potter with me. It's, I, I respect people that can have the dedication and the commitment to a routine to, to work out in that kind of environment. Yeah, me too. Those are like the super, super disciplined people. And a lot of it is just like, you know, mental um, discipline. I feel like that's like 70% of it. And I'm like, to be honest, I'm like, do I want to wake up at 6am and work out? No. Do I want to like just chill and go eat breakfast at some cute spot? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like a psychotic amount of mental discipline. It's like the first time I was being this kid. And I'm like, this guy's an absolute nut job. Yeah, especially like, and that is one nice thing too, depending on the kind of travel you're doing, like you said, sometimes you don't really have to work out because what you're doing for fun is like hiking or something that's physically hard. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm curious as to your thoughts about where we are as a society with inclusivity and travel. Do you, do you feel that we've progressed as travelers and as a society in, in being... In, in encouraging minorities and, and people from disadvantaged backgrounds to travel and get out there? Or where do you think we are with that? I think we are doing a lot better just, you know, with everything that's been going on and the push really like for the last probably like five to seven years of being more inclusive of 
all different kinds of backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities. Just that in general has opened a lot of doors. But I still think that we have a long way to go in like traveling is still a very privileged thing. You know, like you still have to have money to travel or you have to have like, you know, something you can leverage like a huge social media following or something you can provide or get a job in that industry, you know? So it's still something that like, there are still a lot of people that have never left their hometown. One thing I think that is often overlooked is like, okay, yeah, you can, you can travel on a budget or you can take a time off of work or whatever. But the thing is for a lot of people, the, the concept of having time away from family and responsibilities and work all at the same time, to allow them to be able to go somewhere that's far enough away that they're really changing the scenery is almost a pipe dream. And, and I think that, at least from my privileged standpoint, is something that that is often overlooked in the travel media is, is it's not a lack of desire uh, and sometimes not even a lack of specifically money. It's a lack of having all of those factors together at the same time to be able to, to do this. Yeah. I think one thing, just as far as like nature, because, you know, I mean, like my favorite type of travel is anything outdoorsy. Right. And I understand that like, yeah, not everybody can go skiing. Not everyone can go hike mountains, but I think the beautiful thing about nature is like, usually there is nature near you. Even if you live in a city, you know, even if you live in New York city, you can go to central park at the very least. That's my kind of hike. Go hiking in Central Park. That's that's my speed. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. But like there's so many things you can do, I feel like, around you no matter where you are. There's like state parks, local parks, even going on like – like I go – I call them like little nature walks. I mean I walk my dog it's every morning in my neighborhood, but I always try to like notice like, oh, what's blooming? What kind of plant is this? Look at these like ladybugs. Like there, if you look around you, there's so much cool stuff that you can see and kind of appreciate. So that's something that I try to like do every day and encourage other people to do. And part of that's just being present. Yeah, exactly. Well, before we get into our next and last segments, I have a one quick question for you. As a New England guy, I have to ask, you were, you cheerleaded for the Tampa Bay Bucks for a season. On a scale of one to 10, how pissed are you that you left the team before Tom Brady got there. I mean, it would have been, you know, really cool to have been there just because everything was so heightened. And at that point, the whole team was like celebrity status pretty much. And like everyone was watching the team. Right. But I'll live. <laughs> I was rooting for the Bucks in the Super Bowl. However, the only thing that sucked is that now the freaking Boston people's egos is stoked <laughs> even more. <laughs> We're kind of projecting though. Like it's not really our victory to claim. Anyway, okay. So we'll we'll move into our, our listener question. So we we try to tailor our listener question uh to the to the guest each week. And I think this one's pretty appropriate. The question is myself and just about everybody I know does multiple things to make a living, like blogging, freelance writing, design work, etc. And I'm wondering if you think we're all doomed to do this forever or if we're successful because we do all of these things oh my gosh i can relate to that so hard like <laughs> i think both honestly <laughs> doomed to do it forever yes and it always feels like a constant hustle and you're like will this ever end will i have to be always searching for my next gig but at the same time like i attribute that aspect of my life a hundred percent to my success in my career, because, you know, if you're only doing one thing, if that one thing stops, or if you can't do that one thing anymore, like 
then what do you do? Yeah. I've always felt that to be the most successful. You, if you have a lot of eggs in different baskets, um, it's, something will always be uh, to your benefit working out and you'll be able to work somehow, some way. Yeah, I think it's great to have a lot of irons in the fire as long as they're all things that are semi-related to what you enjoy doing. You know, it's one thing to be like Tim, doing design, doing writing, doing you know, podcasts, whatever, all things you kind of enjoy and are good at Whereas if you have to kind of work like five job, minimum wage jobs just to make ends meet, that's a situation where you kind of don't want to be in. I think like Tim, when you tried doing that, you t- did that little stint selling uh, watches on the side of the road in Manhattan. That probably wasn't a, <laughs> wasn't a great move for you career wise. But <laughs> yeah, it was a little random, you know, especially because I could only afford the knockoff watches, so they weren't actually Rolexes. Yeah, and then and then you were like, I think I might switch to like energy crystals. I was like, Tim, just just go back to writing. Like, just stick with your, what you're good at. <laughs> Yeah, that's the hard part. But I feel like I I would rather do like 10 different things related to like entertainment and production and whatnot than, you know, go get like three random part time jobs that I would just be making to try to make money. I love that that person said, are we doomed to do this forever? Because I feel like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, me too. But at the same time, it's like, you know, something happens, you lose one contract, you pick up another one. So that's just kind of the way the world works these days. But uh Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you on. And uh, it was cool that uh, that we connected via Instagram and, and were able to make this happen. Yeah, thank you guys so much for letting me come on. I'm very excited. Where uh, where can our listeners find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Julana. And you can also find me on my blog, which is uh, com. All right. Well, here we are in the takeaways section to close out the show. Thanks to Jelana for coming on. That was a great talk. I'm going to say, like, we had some, we had a pretty diverse spectrum of, of uh, takeaways from this one. First of all, and something that I think has kind of been an undercurrent in almost every episode we've done, and certainly in my entire career, is that having multiple irons in the fire is very much a key factor to continued success in, in, in travel and in the modern workplace. In an ideal world, everyone would have one awesome job, pays them a ton of money that's fulfilling. But I think nowadays, especially in more creative industries, it's the status quo to have multiple jobs, whether it's photography, writing, uh, editing, freelance, web design, whatever it is. So again, as long as you're not selling watches on the side of the road, I think we're very much in support of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. Cause I think if we looked at all of our guests, the vast majority of them would, would be on board with that statement. I think if you could add one more thing to your portfolio right now, on top of what, what you do already, what would it be? What would your, if you had to put another iron in the fire, if you will, tour guide, maybe. Okay. Of what? Uh, probably of like hiking or, you know, uh, snowboarding or something. It's something that I know that I could do. And would be knowledgeable enough to answer people peppering with me with questions. Okay. I thought you were going to talk about a tour guide of the Grand Junction Coal Mining Museum. No, no. Uh, I, I wouldn't be a good tour guide of that one. However, there are, like, I, I think it would be do good, cool to do something super simple. Uh, just like, I know the trails in the area pretty well. I could definitely take a group of tourists out on those trails, you know, for a day hike. Would you be one of those tour guides that does that thing where you walk backwards the whole time? And you tell the group at the beginning, 
so I'm going to be walking backwards on this tour, guys. Like, let me know if I'm about to fall into a hole or like trip over a, you know, a, a fire hydrant or something. <laughs> and then everyone laughs. Maybe. I don't know. That's, I, like, I, that's how every single one of my uh, college tour guides started their tour. It was like, oh, might, might crash into something. You guys have to let me know. It would definitely be very corny. I would say a lot of corny things, I'm sure. Uh, okay, the next one. And, and this is something that as far as actionable takeaways for everybody that listens here, I think this might be the one of the show is, is one of the best ways to maintain fitness can be to bring resistance bands with you because they're lightweight and easy to pack. And there's, you, you can do a workout in your hotel room without having to carry a bunch of equipment around. Yeah. I like to bring like, you know, those boxing bags, like those big, big, big punching bags that you see in gyms. Yep. I like to pay like $600 extra on my check baggage fees and just bring one of those everywhere I go, spend like an hour and a half hanging it up in my hotel room and just wailing on it for like an hour and a half and then rinse and repeat every time I go to a new place, you know? So that, that I find is worth it. Much more practical. What I'm going to stop doing now is I'm going to stop carrying around those two 40-pound dumbbells. Right. Yeah. You get weird looks when you go through security with those things. Yeah. Yeah, it is. They almost try to take them every time. <laughs> almost. But it's, <laughs> luckily, luckily, you've been working out, so they can. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the, la- the last run that I, I think is kind of a cool and, a, and an inspirational one to close on today is that you know, dealing with the, with, with the stigma of influencing, as we've talked about repeatedly for the last six months, Sometimes you got to look a little deeper because rarely is posting on Instagram all somebody is doing. We've started with influencing our very first episode and now 30 episodes later, we're, uh, we're ending on influencing, not ending in the sense that this is over the end for the podcast, but we're bookending our first 30 episodes on the similar theme. Yeah. I wonder what that theme for the next few, next 30 episodes is going to be. Uh, gluttony, I think. Gluttony, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll move it. We'll go in the other direction. <laughs> Gluttony and punching bags. Yeah, yeah. I think the biggest takeaway from this first 30 episodes, honestly, is Tim's about face when it comes to his views on influencing from like just being completely dismissive of it to now just a huge, huge influencer guy. Yeah, big influencer guy. Subscribes totally. to like 6,000 random Instagram models and hat accounts. Right. All right. Well, we will close it there and I'll encourage you before we uh, sign off here to please follow me on Instagram. (laughs) Also follow Evan and uh, thanks again to Jelana for coming on. We'll be back next week with another one for you. In the meantime, head over to Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. We'll see you next week.